0: Hey everyone, you can listen to all seasons of As She Rises, including the new season three, ad-free on Wondery Plus.
1: Eloquence of Earth. Nominal signs, these words we use, future, ecology, seven generations, have yellowed into cliches, editorials that line the cages of captured birds, burn in unransomed stone fireplaces of America's aspiring royal mining families. These green futures, cast as fairy story, sealed beneath the calloused ideals of legislators, sleek smiling handshakes who seal bargains like habay's stone, Our, I do solemnly swear, paper promise leaders, enticed by industry frenzy, slight of lips, the short-sighted tally, 700 jobs, coveted like stones, seven years of prosperity. Daily, we watch patient warnings swim the Wolf River, wash up on the shores of our great lakes, migrate to absent wetlands trumpet old calls, how do we translate the flashing fins of poisoned fish? What other alphabet do you know to spell contaminated waters
0: When you step into a canoe, you feel how the slightest movements of your body affect your tenuous balance over the water. Each time you dip your paddle in, you can feel it grow heavier under the surface as you press it down and back. If you're lucky, the waves lapping up against the edge of the boat or the plop of water dripping off of your paddle are the only sounds you hear. It is a very serene experience. Nestled along the northern border of Minnesota is any canoer's dream. Through a pristine wilderness where the trees meet the glassy water's edge, over 1,100 lakes create a sort of giant inland sea. The Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness is one of the most vast and remote places in North America. The crown jewel of the Superior National Forest, it spans over a million acres and runs along 150 miles of the U.S.-Canada border. Once inside the boundary waters, the water is so clean, canoers often drink straight from the lake. The unrivaled tranquility of these lakes is what makes the Boundary Waters the most visited wilderness in the United States. But this delicate ecosystem is under threat from an industrial enemy, copper sulfide mines. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Grace Lynch, and this is As She Rises. Today, we're in Ely, Minnesota. At the top of the show, we heard an excerpt of Kim Blazer's poem, Eloquence of Earth we'll come back to her later on in the episode. But first, to better paint a picture of the boundary waters, I want to introduce you to someone whose family history is intertwined with the land. Becky Rom.
2: I'm Becky Rom. I live in Ely, Minnesota, which is a small town in the northern part of Minnesota just south of Canada and immediately adjacent to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. I am the national chair of the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. I'm a third generation Ely resident. My grandparents, Casper and Mary Rahm, came here in the 1890s from Eastern Europe. Casper came to work in the underground iron ore mines located near Ely. My father started Bill Rahm's Canoe Country Outfitters. This was 1946. Uh, He built that into a very large wilderness canoe outfitting business. And so when I grew up, if you went canoeing in the Boundary Waters, about nine out of every 10 canoes you would see would have my dad's name on it. But growing up in this family was really a profound uh, experience. Number one, I spent a lot of time in the woods, and it was unusual in those days for a girl to be in the woods. My dad would send my three brothers and me out with families that needed uh, extra help in packing pack sacks uh, across portages on canoe trips. I started guiding when I was 14 years old, and he had me flying the family bush plane uh, by the time I was 16. So it was an extraordinary experience for a young girl. The Boundary Waters is really like no other place. It's the world's greatest protected canoe country wilderness, a collection of small interconnected lakes—1,100 lakes. 1100 lakes. Uh, you travel by canoe. The lakes are connected by paths through the woods that we call portages, and you are really out in the wild, truly immersed uh, in this very gentle, lovely wilderness when you're when you're on a trip.
0: the Boundary Waters have remained wild for a long time despite facing threats from man-made industry before. This latest attempt could be the most dangerous one yet.
2: Over the last 100 years, there have been many efforts to commercialize the area, to develop the area, to build roads, to mine in the wilderness, to log the wilderness. And it's taken a concerted effort by very dedicated people, like my father, to ensure that it remained wild. But there are still those who view the heyday of Ely as the 1950s and the 1960s when the iron ore mines were still operating. Right now, we are facing the greatest threat we've ever had to the boundary waters and the whole Quetico-Superior region. And that's the threat of sulfide or copper mining in the headwaters. There is a, a very giant mining company called Antofagasta that now controls a local company, a Minnesota limited liability company called Twin Metals. And they're proposing to develop four deposits of copper nickel right outside the Boundary Waters, along and under lakes and rivers that flow directly into the wilderness. We've never had anything like this in Minnesota. The iron ore that my grandfather mined came with very little environmental impact. There was no processing, no tailings piles, which are ground up or no giant waste piles. It was 70% pure iron ore. The copper nickel mining that's been proposed right outside the Boundary Waters is different. First, it's very low grade. It's less than 1% copper, nickel, platinum, and palladium. So that means 99% of what is dug up is waste. It's very toxic. This type of mining is considered the most toxic industry in America. It has never, ever occurred anywhere without damaging water quality. You put that next to the most visited wilderness in the country, which is an intensively water-based ecosystem.
0: It bears repeating that Ely is not estranged from mining practices. Becky's grandfather originally settled in the area to work in the mines. But the particular mines that are in question today are uniquely dangerous. I initially thought Becky was exaggerating when she said that copper sulfide mines have a certainty of contamination. But it's true. Every single copper sulfide mine in the United States has had spillage or contamination issues. Every single one. A 2012 state and federal review of 14 copper sulfide mines, which accounts for about 89% of all U.S. copper production found that 100% of the mines reported spills or accidental releases. Yes, these mines have treatment systems in place to control for accidental seepage, but those systems only successfully evaded a system failure in one facility. If any of the runoff from copper sulfide mines is exposed to air or water, it creates sulfuric acid, basically battery acid, which, perhaps it goes without saying, is really toxic. Not exactly something you want near a giant freshwater labyrinth. And the
2: acid mine drainage has the potential, in fact, near certainty, of spreading out across the landscape throughout the canoe country wilderness, crossing from the boundary waters into the Quetico, and going downstream from there to Voyagers National Park, and then further into Canada. We are mainly, for all practical purposes, a giant inland sea. The water is clean. When you paddle into the Boundary Waters, you can dip a cup into the water, and I do every trip, and you drink out of the lake. It's probably the cleanest water in the United States.
0: The likelihood that the Boundary Waters remain the cleanest water in the United States depends on whether the proposed mine becomes a reality. I want to highlight once more what a dangerous location this is for this particular type of mine. The runoff created from copper sulfide mines is so intensely destructive that these mines are typically located in dry, arid places where hopefully any runoff can evaporate very quickly. That could not be further from the case with the Boundary Waters project. The site outlined by Twin Metals is so soggy that in order to even build the mine, crews would have to drain and fill more than 100 acres of marsh, bogs, and wetlands, which, aside from radically disturbing the surrounding wildlife, wouldn't really solve the problem. In fact, the area is so damp that Twin Metals is including additional storage methods for processing waste, or what's called tailings. They've proposed drying a portion of the tailings, which would be mixed with cement and stored in a large open air mound, just 660 feet from one of the biggest lakes in the Boundary Waters. Twin Metals is confident that regular precipitation won't resaturate the tailings, but groups like Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness have reported otherwise. The mound isn't just a pile of dry material, it's a dam, which, if broken, would release 96 million metric tons of highly toxic tailings into Birch Lake. Any flooding or leaks would devastate the ecosystem and the people in the surrounding areas for thousands of years. Acid mine drainage includes toxins like arsenic, asbestos, cadmium, lead, and mercury. With all that, you might be wondering, why would anyone want to do this? I asked Becky what was being misunderstood or lost in translation for those who are proponents of the mine and to my surprise she disagreed with that framing altogether so I don't think it's a
2: misunderstanding I think it's a a different point of view I think those who are proponents of the mine understand there's risk I think they believe that the risk is worth it just like I understand and I think others in the campaign understand the desire of some people to have better paying jobs, more prosperity in their life. And when someone offers you and promises you that, it's very tempting. There is a also a longer term view versus a shorter term view. I look back at the last 100 years and can look forward to the next 100 years and imagine what I would want this world to look like. I'd say there's another component to this as well, and that's how you look at this in the context of climate change and the extinction crisis. Then the northern part of Minnesota, the boreal forest part of Minnesota is one of three biomes in the state. Uh, it houses about a third of the biodiversity that's in the state, And 75% of the breeding birds in the state breed here in the boreal forest of the Superior National Forest. The area has been identified by climate modelers as one of the eight most important areas in the United States for resilience and adaptation. It's a pathway for migration in part and migration includes human migration. If you want to address and plan for resilience and adaptation. You would want to keep Northern Minnesota
0: as ecologically healthy as possible. Even without the threat of a copper sulfide mine, the climate in the Boundary Waters is in a precarious place. I was shocked to find that if climate change continues at its current rate, The Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness will be a savanna by the year 2100. That's less than 80 years away. The landscape will be unrecognizable to those who spent their lives in its forests and waters. The threat of a copper sulfide mine rapidly truncates that already shortened timeline. If plans for the mine move forward, current residents of towns like Ely might face permanent dislocation.
2: Mines have profound impacts on the environment. Industrial level noise would be heard in our community 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'd have significant air pollution. The stacks of waste and tailings will contain heavy metals and other toxins. And when dry, would be blowing across the ecosystem and when wet, reaching into the water. Once people learn that the boundary Waters has been degraded, once people hear that the water is polluted and the fishing isn't so great, our small business economy, our wilderness-based economy, all around the wilderness will suffer. There are 30 businesses around the mine. They would likely all leave. There are hundreds of homes now tucked in the woods next to the wilderness that are in the area of the mine. It's credible, when people say they're going to leave, that they really will leave. And I would probably be among those.
0: One of the reasons I wanted to make this show was to find targeted ways to help fight climate change. And if you're wondering what other actions you can take on a more personal level, I recommend you listen to To A Lesser Degree, a new podcast by The Economist. Their episode, Best Behavior, dives into how much personal action can really make a difference. What I personally really enjoy about the show is that Economist editors pressure test ideas with one another. And as you're listening, it's as if they anticipate your own questions. Plus, they push past surface level conversations to pursue bold ideas like the feasibility of a personal carbon allowance. The series is reimagining industry, technology, politics, and showing us what actually needs to change to slow the pace of warming. So, in the lead up to COP26, as we're all weighing how to make a difference on a personal, local, and global scale, Make sure you're listening to To a Lesser Degree from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. Becky and her neighbors are not the only folks who would be displaced by the mine. The Chippewa tribe, also commonly referred to as the Ojibwe, are native to the region. They're part of the Anishinaabe people. An umbrella term that refers to a group of culturally related indigenous tribes, the Anishinaabe people span from southeastern Canada into the northern regions of the Midwestern United States. The Chippewa tribe has a long history with the Boundary Waters and has been intimately involved in the fight for its protection. The
2: uh, entire Arrowhead of Minnesota, which is the point uh, in the northeast part of the state, is 1854 Treaty land. It's ceded territory. And the 1854 treaty was between the Ojibwe and the United States government. The Ojibwe have retained rights to hunt, fish, and gather in this area. The Anishinaabe are in the flowway of any acid mine drainage and water pollution that would come from copper mines. So it's very important to the Chippewa uh, to protect this area. They, in particular, look to The national forest lands as those areas in which they can hunt, fish, and gather. So we've been partners with them. They are very committed and devoted to protecting their land and their waters.
0: The Boundary Waters are a life source for the Chippewa. One of their most sacred rituals revolves around harvesting wild rice, which grows naturally out of the lakes. If the water itself becomes contaminated from a copper sulfide mine, their right to harvest this land, as stated in the 1854 treaty, would be fundamentally violated. Kim Blazer, our poet from the top of the show, is a member of the Chippewa tribe.
1: My name is Kimberly Blazer, indigenous Anishinabe, Anishinaabekwe in Dao. I'm Anishinaabe. I'm an enrolled member of the White Earth Nation in northwestern Minnesota. Right now, there is a push to build a copper mine in adjacent to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. And I'm actually um, one of those people who has made a declaration on a lawsuit against the United States in regards to this because of what devastation it could cause. My earliest years are linked to place, to all of the seasonal activities, the harvest of natural foods and medicines and items needed for daily living like fish and berries and wild rice and birch bark and nuts and black ash and sweet grass and maple sap, all of those things. And the Northern Minnesota of my childhood was rich water country. And my family spent nearly every weekend of my early life fishing, or swimming, or skating, setting nets, spearing, ice fishing, all of those things, including harvesting wild rice. And honestly, we knew water as provider. It didn't come from a faucet when I grew up. We collected rain, we pumped our drinking water from the belly of the earth, or we hauled it from springs and cream cans in the back of my uncle's pickup. And our daily household water in my earliest years was a pail and a dipper. But because water didn't come through a faucet, because water came through labor, we didn't waste it. Our life, we knew, was linked to water. We knew it as a relative. And to us, this element is the be sacred water. The vision of seven generations into the past, seven generations into the future, is what indigenous people have taught. And that larger vision and all of the practical things that go with it are what are needed right now. We can't own, possess, or barter the relationship we have with the natural world. And so in order to get other people to that realization, They have to become friends with, they have to become relatives with, and know their relatedness to, all of the beings with whom we share this planet.
0: Kim said the attempt to put a copper sulfide mine at the headwaters to the boundary waters is an existential threat to all Anishinaabe people.
1: That would have a huge impact on so many communities, both in the U.S. and in Canada. And it honestly, for generations, it would have an impact the boundary waters, that's connected the US and Canada. Those are not, the waters are not separate. Those imaginary lines of demarcation are not nature's. They're political boundaries. And sometimes we have to think beyond political boundaries to understand the interconnections of all of our resources and all of our beings as people. If we understand the water and our environment as alive, as a being, then we know that water has rights. We know the earth has rights.
0: I often find the interconnected nature of climate battles to be what makes them so overwhelming to tackle. The impact of this mine ripples through so many different communities, ecosystems, economies, even nations. But for Kim, the fact that the contours of this issue are porous, allows for a much needed recentering of the planet over politics. She expressed that that feeling of feeling small compared to the magnitude of the earth is actually a really important experience for people. It's a feeling that inspires much of her poetry.
1: For me, poetry is an act of attention It's the way that we ask ourselves and those we invite the readers to look and look more deeply at what's around us. And only if we come to know those wonderful, mysterious realities and love them will we be motivated to protect them, right? So we can't own, possess, or barter the relationship we have with the natural world. And so in order to get other people to that realization, they have to become friends with, they have to become relatives with and know their relatedness to all of the beings with whom we share this planet. And then and only then will they be willing to take action. And so I feel like poetry, I always talk about poetry as affective, beautiful as literature, and effective doing something in the world. When we think about the Boundary Waters, the Grand Canyon, we recognize our smallness in the midst of all of that. And poetry can somehow get to that insignificance because there's this ambiguity that poetry allows and this complexity. Now I say, we guasika, everywhere we look there are many white birch, bark marked with sign, scrolls, a history. I say ritual, continuum, cycle of belonging. I say Daga, please. Nenando Tan, you must listen for it. Aki, yes, our very earth speaks. Who among us will translate?
0: the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness deserves to remain just that, wilderness. And despite everything we've laid out today, I want to reassure you that those on the ground are optimistic. Here's Becky. I can't imagine
2: that at the end of the day, we as a people will let the Boundary Waters be damaged. I think at the end of the day, the value of this place will prevail. Clearly we're on the right side of science. Uh, We're on the right side of wilderness. People are with us. Polling shows that 70% of Minnesotans don't want this mine near the boundary waters. And uh, I just believe in the end that we will prevail and we will be able to permanently protect public lands in the headwaters. It's such a clearly right position and copper mining in this place is such a clearly wrong position. And I just think we will prevail and we'll protect the canoe country and it'll be here for the next 100 years.
0: This April, Congresswoman Betty McCollum from Minnesota's 4th District reintroduced a bill called the Boundary Waters Protection and Pollution Prevention Act. If enacted, it would permanently protect the Boundary Waters from toxic mines. As this bill makes its way through the House, you can call your local congressperson, regardless of which state you live in, and urge them to support this legislation. This is the best chance at securing the permanent protection of the Boundary Waters. If supporting the grassroots movement is more your style, you can support Becky and the work she's doing by visiting savetheboundarywaters.org if you want to find more of Kim's poetry, visit kimblazer.org. As always, all of these links are in our episode notes. Ashy Rises is a Wonder Media Network production. It's created by myself, Grace Lynch. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. The show is produced by myself and Liz Smith. Emily Rudder is our managing producer. Editorial support from Ale Tejeda and Carmen Bococorrio. Until next time. Hey, everyone. You can listen to every episode of As She Rises, including those from the newest season, ad-free with Wondery Plus. Find Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.